You're listening to Love Your City. It's a Movement Australia podcast. We believe that communities can be transformed as a unified church in every city or town lives and proclaims the gospel into every sphere of society. We'll tell stories from where this is already happening. We'll dig into the Bible to better understand God's heart for cities and towns. And we'll discuss practical strategies. Because no matter where you live, a gospel movement can happen. Good morning from Achille Toowoomba. Uh, recently, I had the joy of interviewing uh, a wonderful couple from the city of Eugene, Oregon in the United States, Stephen and Patty Buss. Uh, Steve is um, the executive director of an organization called One Hope and his wife, Patty, is the program director of that organization. Uh, It's an organization that came together some years ago to facilitate unity and mission in the city of uh, Eugene and uh, the surrounding area of Springfield. Uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview. Uh, God has been doing some wonderful things amongst them. And so um, as you look at um, this interview and listen to what they have to say, uh, also take some time to um, perhaps look at their their website uh, because they've got many initiatives and uh, their strategy, I think, has uh, much to uh, commend itself to us, to us here in Australia. God bless you. I think uh, for us um, and for me personally, the, the, the bullseye, the center of the bullseye um, for me is... Um, Jesus new command that we would love each other the way he loves us and that since that is a highlighted truth from our Lord um, we often call pastors and leaders to that that if we share the same community if we're if we're really neighbors and we're all called to advance the kingdom and follow Jesus foremost let us, take some steps and then some strides to love each other the way that he loves us. And then from there, our second, just the next rung in the center of that bullseye is his prayer, of course, in John 17, that we would be one as the father and son are one so that the world will believe. So that love for one another and then that unity unto the world believing with us, that's the core. That's what motivates me. That's what keeps me going. That's what motivates us. That's what keeps us going. That's the primary thing that we want to invite the Jesus followers who live in our shared community. We want to invite them to do that, to find a way. The the language we use is joining together. Can we join together to show Jesus love because of the new command, because of Jesus' prayer for our unity resulting in others following. So that's that's our core. Patty, do you want to speak to that? And I guess I would say that's really our strategy, um, how that <laughs> plays out. I, I honestly feel like we have two strategies, to bring believers together and to pray together. And from that comes serving. From that comes initiatives. From that, from the together in prayer, together relating, then things outflow. Um, And the reason I would say we really saw the power of that just simple strategy, it sounds so impotent, maybe. I know it doesn't to you because you're doing the same thing we are. 
but it can sound like, well, are we just going to relate? Are we just going to be together? Yeah, we are. Because for us, we saw specifically even in this last year, once we had COVID and we had wildfires in our city as what or just outside of our city, there were, there were things that happened that never would have happened on behalf of our community if we had not had these relationships and the, the tested, tried, trusting relationships that were in place enabled the church to do things um, that I don't know that we were even aware we could do. And it had everything to do with the history of that strategy, that we're going to know each other, and we're going to love each other, and we're going to pray together. Yeah. And so, so that's that's the core of what we do. And, and very similar to other communities, you know, we have three objectives. Together pray, together serve, together share the good news. And so uh, it's very, very, um, those are things we all can agree on. We're going to pray in Jesus' name, and we're going to do that together. Okay, yep, I agree with that. And so we have several initiatives that we do that are prayer-focused. And then as we build relationship, love each other, and pray, we're trusting God's going to highlight those spaces in the community where we can collaborate and serve together to make a greater impact. And so by the grace of God, over the last many years, we've been able as leaders to discern where is the Lord moving and where does he want us to join together and serve with what he's doing? And then as we do those two things, we have a platform to actually share the gospel. Yeah, so those three objectives being in place, we're going to pray together, we're going to serve together, and then we're going to share the gospel together. And so, um, you know, as far as leadership goes, we have had uh, a team of what we call pastoral advisors which are advisors, um, they're senior pastors uh, from different uh, streams of the denomination, different sized churches, different age groups, and um, have leaned into those advisors as um, just to get counsel, just to bounce things off of. Then we've got a board, which includes some of the advisors are on that board that oversee the, the structure, the organization of One Hope. Then over the years, we've had different leadership teams. We've had what we call a catalyst team that helped mobilize uh, Christ followers to work together in prayer and in service. We've had over the years teams that have focused on different areas to cultivate, for example, our 24-7 prayer effort called One Church, One Day. So there have been teams. So that's kind of the structure. So we formed teams over the years, but uh, the advisors and the board um, have remained constant sounding boards, if you will, um, to um, bounce things off of, to get more prayer, to actually go into a discernment process. So that's how the overarching structure works. And then I would say the relational structure is that monthly we gather at a different church where we gather pastors for an hour and a half and that time is simply a time to worship together, pray for each other, and then pray outward for the community. It's not really an equipping time. It's not, but we're bringing relevant intel on ways to pray. And it's a time for a leader to go leader to leader every month. And we've done that for probably 10 years uh, beyond that. And then also in that relational rhythm structure, we take about 50 leaders away every January to a three-day prayer summit. 
And that has also really been the cementing, you know, that's that mortar between the stones, that love, that bonding that happens. Um, that's been a regular rhythm and often even fresh input from the Lord comes, we come away with that as a, as a collective group. And so I would, I would agree with Patty that that is, you know, that's, that's where everything happens, those monthly gatherings and then the prayer summit um, back to, you know, Jesus' new command. How, how, how do we love each other? What, what are we going to do? What can we, come on leaders, what, what, what can we tangibly do? Well, we can, we can actually spend time together in prayer. And then from there, we don't want to stop. And so, so to our, our initiatives to pray together, Patty just covered the first two, which are the core. Uh, as far as strategy, that we would meet as leaders to pray one for another so that love can grow among other things and God answers our prayer. And then we're praying outward for the community. Um, and then that, that second part is the prayer summit. Then to keep going on on our different prayer initiatives, um, two times a year, pastors have decided that we're going to do a community-wide worship and prayer event, one in November, one in May. And so we do that. We get you know get different worship teams together, get different pastors and uh, community leaders facilitating prayer uh, during that time, and that has been added rhythm to our prayer. Uh, Pre-COVID, uh, back to what Patty shared about the monthly gatherings, we were between sixty and ninety pastors and leaders meeting monthly for prayer. So that was the rhythm pre-COVID. Um, uh, we've been we, we've done Zoom over the last uh, over the last year. Uh, we've done some in-person gatherings, and so that's been great. But then um, along back to the what we're doing with initiatives in prayer, along with community-wide worship. Six years ago, um, God gave us grace to implement a strategy that's not unique to us. It's called One Church One Day, and it, the model is one church adopts one day a month to pray for 24 hours. And then they, another element of that strategy is they don't just pray on that day for 24 hours. Every single one of those churches receives an updated monthly prayer guide where we're praying. Community. Yeah, a community prayer guide where we're praying into 10 sectors of our community. And each of those sectors, sectors like government, education, healthcare, so forth, each of those sectors has a strategic team of people who are believers who work in that area, they meet once a month to discern how to pray for that sector. So we have government leaders meeting once a month to come up with a prayer request for the government. We have first responders meeting once a month to come up with ways to pray for our first responders. All of those requests go on our community prayer guide. So all of those churches who are praying 24 seven are praying in agreement, relevant ways to pray. And then every other month by the grace of God, we document answers to prayer. And so um, God has been very, very gracious and good to our community to show up uh, in answer to prayer. And that's been very encouraging uh, for the, the Jesus followers in the community, but it's also been encouraging for the people who don't follow Jesus when they hear those stories. So that kind of completes our uh, prayer strategy, if you will. Those are the things that we do uh, the together prayers kind of fall under that category, those categories. So, And then from the prayer, um, what we have discerned is churches stepping in significantly into the foster care space, 
raising up more foster families, supporting those who do become foster parents and supporting DHS workers. And just this week, actually, we did get some report that the, the initiative into the foster care arena, they have seen in the last few years, a decrease in the number of children going into care. Mm-hmm. So we've been praying and laboring in that space. We've been praying and laboring into school partnerships. And again, because of when COVID happened, the schools, because of our history of serving and having school partners with a church, all three of our local school districts reached out to the churches to serve in ways they never would have thought um, because our educators were unable to go to students' homes and there were families that had need for food. There were families that had need for different things. And so they called upon the churches and said, can you go to these families on our behalf? So um, those are probably our two main areas of ongoing sustainable serving in our community unto sharing the gospel. And then as we continue to share how we're serving together, um, Patty referenced that we had wildfires. We had a huge wildfire. It burned 145,000 acres um, just up up river from us. Beautiful, beautiful territory. Uh, Over 420 homes were lost. Many other structures were lost. And so uh, people in the churches responded immediately, as did many other nonprofits and, and individuals. Just There was just a great outpouring of support for those people evacuating and so forth. But we knew we wanted to be in it long term. So without going into all the God details of all the story, um, there were two local churches upriver that we ended up partnering with. Um, one pastor lost his home, his whole church burned down, and um, he was kind of a catalytic um, friend upriver. And so he started developing relationships with us as all of this family of churches really started standing with him and supporting him after their loss. And um, as the dust settled here about a month and a half after the fire, uh, he continued to meet with community leaders and uh, FEMA and our local Lane County leaders, and this idea of building sheds for a property owner who lost their home, a shed as a first step of rebuilding, a place where they could store tools, a place where they could store chairs, where they could lock something up on their property. In that meeting with county leaders, it was like, that seemed like a good idea. And so he came back to us, talked about, hey, there's this idea Several pastors talked about it. We prayed about it. He went to the next meeting. They talked about it again, and it seemed right. He said, you think I could be the shed guy? And so local churches have partnered together. We created a, uh, we, a, a way where we could partner together, and currently there are 61 sheds right now standing on people's properties. There's about 25 more in the pipeline to be built. And on top of that, another wonderful thing that's happened is the gentleman who oversees the shop classes for all of the county high schools. He got wind of it. He came to one of the days that we built and he got vision for it. And so we started partnering with him and the educators and they wrote grants. And now he's on a mission to teach high school students how to build by building these sheds. And, um, and the very first high school 
that he engaged to, to build the sheds is the high school of the community where everything burned down. And so just during the month of April, they've, they've been meeting for four weeks, just on the weekend, Friday and Saturday, they've been the first students to build sheds and um, get them placed on property. So now that's going on and, and he plans to do that here um, more this year and then into the fall. So anyway, that's, and then, and then the churches, people from the churches are, are helping them, helping the students, helping the shop teachers come together and facilitate those builds. So that's just been really, really wonderful. It's been really good for the local churches to have their men in the churches do these building projects, you know, to have breakfast together at nine and by four o'clock that day, you've built a prefab, you know, floors and walls and roof and, you know, they go, they go uh, assemble it, you know, at some other time. So anyway, a lot of testimonies and stories with that. Is, are there any other projects you want to talk about that's, or, or um, particular activities that have been generated either in an organized way or maybe just people's and individual initiatives? Well, one of the things we do uh, right before the beginning of the school year every year is called Project Hope. And Project Hope um, is has been a two-day outreach. On the Saturday, the last Saturday of the month of August, our school year, beginning of the school year, churches go and they prepare the grounds of the school for the new year. They get a wish list and they get the school ready. And the second day, we serve about three... 3,400 kids come to a really fun outdoor event where they all can receive a free pair of new athletic shoes and socks. They get to pick it out. Um, backpacks filled with school supplies. Uh, we've had haircuts. We've had mini medical and dental clinic at it. And then we have local restaurants and businesses there with food and there's inflatables. And we try to make it this really engaging community event on behalf of students that have economic barriers. And the students that come are those that counselors and educators would highlight and invite to come to Project Hope. Maybe they have the greater need. So that happens every August and we've done that for 11 years. Even through COVID, we still did it um, because the school district said the kids need a sense of normalcy even if they're not coming back in the building, please do it because they're gonna need the, the shoes. They're gonna need school supplies for their at-home learning. And so we did it. And uh, we will do that again this August. Wow, yeah. that's great. Is there any initiatives or thoughts about um, meeting some of the um, women's issues like domestic violence and um, uh, abortion or uh, some of the sexualization of culture, some of the so-called gender wars. Is there any thoughts about or initiatives in that direction? Current, currently, there's not. There is a local um, ministry that focuses on, it's called Dove Medical, and it's a, it's a pregnancy center. And so that's well supported, and it's been prayed for on our prayer guide, and pastors regularly connect with that. Um, there is um, two ministries that are supported in our community uh, addressing sex trafficking, um, but we haven't had like uh, another initiative besides supporting those ministries um, arise. But those are very, very important. Yep. So 
um, with all the information coming out of one heart, which I suppose you act like a non a Christian non for profit, um, how do you get communication through? I mean, you've got lots of churches listed. Do the ordinary pew sitters get fed the information that one heart uh, wants to give out, and um, and um, and how do you mobilize them after they get this information? That's that's a really good question. And so, first of all, it's one hope. It's one hope. Oh, sorry. That's um, okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, it's totally good. There, there's a lot of uh, a lot of great ministries called uh, One Heart, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, uh, so, as far as getting to the average person in the church, um, again, we primarily work through the leadership because we want to bring the leaders together first of all to honor and make sure relationships happen among them. And so, we really tr do our best to equip the leaders so that they get that information to the churches. But then we do our best to make it, I want to say, easy. We're serving the pastors with all of these initiatives with ways that they can, you know, from, from the graphics and the PowerPoint slides to this is the kind of person that you need to fulfill that. We'll meet with your point person for Project Hope so that we're walking through, so you don't have to do that, that kind of thing. So we do work to equip the pastors and then we do work to equip the volunteers as well. So as far as the information getting to them, um, you know, we've got some social media, we, we do post on Instagram and on Facebook and that does help get information out as well as we do primarily work through the pastors. We do have an email list that people opt into and so they do get quarterly, you know, updates, kind of things that are happening. And yeah, so there's a there's a batch, there's a good batch of that too. Uh, we find that often pastors, uh, for whatever reason, don't pass a lot of information over the pulpit to their congregations. And it's always ends up a bit of a bottleneck. I just wondered, yeah. did you have the same experience? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially over the years, and Ian, I'm sure you can relate to this because you guys have been at this for a long time as well. And so um, over the years, there's more and more initiatives, right? And so one of the things we say here is how much joining together can a pastor take, yeah. right? We have compassion and understanding because so many things are going on. And so, um, you know, we're even working now to try to develop you know, new ways of uh, of thinking and some systems to where that information can, it doesn't have to bottleneck with the pastors. We can get it to the people, but we want it. We don't, we're not trying to bypass pastors. We're trying to honor them and to serve them um, so that unity can be cultivated. So I identify with that very much. So just some um, stats questions. What's the population that you're serving? That's a really good question. Um, the, the surrounding area, our locality, Central Lane County, is just under 300,000 people. And um, Eugene proper and then Springfield right next to it and then surrounding communities is about just under 300,000. So we're just kind of, a, I want to say it's just a unique size that we, you know, in other communities like, you know, a Houston where it's, you know, millions of people or Portland, they're in order to for those networks to function, they need multiple networks, right? They need several different pastors groups. And so uh, we do encourage smaller groups of pastors to get together, but we're, we're almost like just the right size to where 
we can kind of have larger pastor gatherings and try to cover most everybody. So, yeah, we've, That's good. as we've looked at other movements. So uh, about how many churches would you have and, and what percentage of them would be um, good, strong supporters of uh, One Hope and your, and your vision? Yeah, and so in a year's time, there's close to 100 churches that will partner together in some way. Um, as far as core churches go, there's about 50 core churches. There are 44 that are on the 24-7 uh, One Church, One Day prayer initiative. Every year, there's close to 60 that partner with Project Hope. Um, um, so, yeah, so that just kind of gives you a, so there's about 50 that are core, that are that are engaged in, in it, several things that we do, and some might only do one thing, one collaborative effort that we do, so. How does the city see uh, your initiatives? Um, when I say the city, the, the civic authorities, the business community, um, perhaps non-Christian, non-for-profits, other influences? Well, um, I would say that the city really sees One Hope as a valuable asset. I think because of kind of the longevity of consistent serving and also our, our willingness to really collaborate in the, in the public square, not just come up with our own thing. Um, I think we've, the value of the church has really increased from the fires until now we are seen as a, as a, a significant source of help and solution. There's still more we need to be engaged in. Um, but yeah, from secular leaders, I think DHS sees churches. DHS, DHS is the foster care system here, Department of Human Services. Human Services. From schools to DHS to our city government, I I think the, the church has seen in a very positive light in the last couple of years specifically. And um some of the answers to prayer when our mayor get, get stood up and gave her address a couple of years ago about these good things that are happening in the community were things that the church had literally had on the prayer guide had been praying about. And we also had a, had a Christian city manager who was on one of our strategic teams. And so he was really great on helping us navigate and see what's the most significant ways for the churches to step in. So let me tag right there. Um, it's a good segue. So one of the things that that city manager, he was on our strategic team. Again, those teams inform us how to pray. It goes to the prayer guide to all the churches that are praying 24-7. So one of the things we prayed about consistently was something called Operation 365. It was an initiative through the city and county to house 365 homeless veterans. And so we put that on the prayer guide. And people were praying that that would be fulfilled. And then month after month, we kept it on there. We, we would check on the numbers, okay? The numbers are heading in the right direction. At the end of the year, they ended up housing 404 homeless veterans. It was way beyond what they ever thought could happen. And here, the church for months was alongside these community governmental efforts to house these homeless veterans and it was miraculous. It was miraculous. And everyone in the community knew it was miraculous. Not everyone in the community knew that the churches were praying 24-7 for it, but many in the community did. And so it was complimentary. We were complimenting 
good work that was going on in the community. Another answer to prayer, which was quite phenomenal, um, three years ago, um, the fire chief of Eugene and Springfield was on our, our first responder strategic team. And so we've already had many answers to prayer from first responders. But one morning I got a voice message from him. Uh, it was early in the morning. He said, Steve, I'm calling you to let you know that uh, tonight one of our teams went out and a house was on fire and the two houses next to it were on, on fire. And as they began their work, a gunman opened fire on those fighting the fire. And his voice turned in tone. He says, I'm calling you this morning to give glory to God that not one of our men was injured. He went on, this fire chief went on to speak at a community-wide worship service after all of the forensic testing and everything um, went down. Um, a gunman walked 20 yards away with a shotgun, with buckshot in the, gut, in, in the shotgun, and he started, he started opening fire. He was trying to get to them. Not one of them had a puncture wound. There were nicks in the helmets. The, the fire trucks were all riddled with buckshot. There was even a hole in someone's um, pants. There was buckshot in their turnout gear, but not one person had a puncture wound. Everyone made it out. And that fire chief publicly gave glory to the Lord for protecting those firefighters that night because the church was praying 24-7 for the protection of our first responders. So those are a couple examples of answers to prayer that we're able to be, to humble ourselves in thanksgiving and just worship Jesus afresh. And then for, for the community to catch wind that, that the church is praying in those ways. And we have a living God who answers prayer. Um, again, some people think it's a wonder and some people might think it's a coincidence most are going to have to grapple with that. But anyway, the testimony of answered prayer, all glory to Jesus. And it just encourages the saints who are praying as well. Um, obviously, from pastor's point of view, has it been beneficial for individual churches? I mean, have they seen growth, more life? Um, what's, what's been the results at uh, church level? I think, I think that it varies. I would say that it varies across churches, some of the feedback, of course, has been, this is actually helping in terms of prayer for the city. It's helping us see our city in a new way. It's helping us pray in targeted ways that we wouldn't normally think about. But I would also say um, what one of the fruits that I believe it is, is happening that they're saying is those people who are in education or working in the marketplace are beginning to see that their role as a believer in that sphere is really important. It's as much as important as their role helping teach Sunday school in the church. It's valuing, I believe, the, the role of the church in the civic world, in the marketplace. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the whole school partnership realm um, starting with when we kicked off Project Hope 11 years ago, that doing Project Hope really was a springboard for many churches to actually partner with the school and to do a workday out of school and then to develop a relationship. And so that has become, that has 
the relationship that individual church members have with the school and therefore the school has with the church, um, that has been very, very fruitful. There have been people who have attended church. There have been relationships that have been strengthened, started, strengthened, and cultivated over the years. Um, that again has just been for that local church that had never had a school partnership has been definitely enriching, definitely uh, impacted their members, and they have definitely had people attend their church who would not have otherwise. Yeah. And uh, some of our some of our foster care initiatives, things that we've done to honor people who work within Department of Human Services and support families in that space have been held in church facilities. And when COVID happened and schools couldn't do childcare um, at school buildings, well, the YMCA and other locations that did child services reached out to the church because we weren't meeting in churches either, but we had all this space. <laughs> so th there's just been, I feel like, really, really great um, connectivity with the community in a greater way. And this, just so you know, like we're not in the Bible Belt of America. This isn't where everybody's Christian. This is very post-modern, um, where we have a secular big university right here on our campus, uh, right here in our city. But in some ways, it's really great because the church just really gets to, you get to be the church because it's not like everybody, you know, it's not like it's just the thing to do. Well, is there any last word um, before we pull this together? I just think I think one of the things that we've said over and over again, but when 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 pastors who share the same geography, when they can become friends in prayer, and then when they can go out and serve and have their people serve the community and see the love of Christ multiplied as their people join together to go bless the schools, those pastors sense and see a genuine Christian community making impact. And it is, I'm just going to say it like this, because we're obeying Jesus, that type of lifestyle, that church is working together lifestyle is, I think, a lot more of what the Lord has planned for his people. The pastors have a greater sense of family, camaraderie, and fruitfulness and, and, and I think a, a more accurate picture on the role of their individual church, that we have a significant part to play, no matter the size of our specific church, but we're a part of a greater whole that's going to impact this community. And then their love relationship outpouring into the community. It's just been wonderful to see. And uh, I just, it's just a delight to see those relationships. Mm -hmm.